this is a word of encouragement. I'm going to encourage everybody to vote uh, this Tuesday. If you haven't voted already, make sure you vote. That's uh, really, really important. Uh, we live in a country where we're able to do that, and uh, we need to take advantage of that. And uh, let me just give you a word of encouragement about that, just kind of where I'm at and when we gather, just so that you know. Um, that when you vote, you should look at what the, not just at the person, but look at the platform, okay? Look at the platform that they represent and see if it lines up with biblical values. That's the most important thing. You know, we're, obviously we're not a theocracy, so we're not ruled by God. So, uh, so we have to evaluate things biblically. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But as you vote for people, just match it up. Say, hey, do the, does the platform that they represent, does it, does it sync with what God says is right and good and true? Because that's where you want to be. And I know there is the, uh, the, the thought out there that, you know, uh, that some pastors and, and churches have that, hey, we're not going to get political. And, and I understand that. I, uh, I pretty much disagree with that. Um, and, uh, and, and here's why. Here's why. Here's, no, no, no. Here's, uh, here's, here's why I say that. Uh, because most political issues are moral issues. And if it's a moral issue, it's a biblical issue, all right? So we're going to deal with things biblically so that we know how to live morally. And if that flaw, you know, falls into the political realm, so be it. Uh, that's how that goes. But my privilege and my responsibility is to talk about what the Bible has to say and, uh, and what God's Word has to tell us about truth and line our lives up with that. So uh, that's kind of where things are at with me. So that's what you get uh, when we, when we uh, deal with these issues. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> let's have a word of prayer. Uh, we've already been led wonderfully in prayer tonight by, by the girls. I'm so thankful for that. Let's ask God to speak to us, okay, because we need to hear, especially the things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some cultural issues tonight, biblically speaking, and we really need to hear from God and definitely not from me. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment, and just ask God to speak to you. Now just give him your attention. We all come into this room, and we've got a lot of things going on in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, and I mean, just push those to the corners right now. And just give God center stage in your heart. Ask him to speak to you, because he will. He'll, he'll answer that prayer. And so, Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We acknowledge that you are the king of the universe. You are the one that has the words of life, and we need those tonight. So, God, open our hearts. Give us ears to hear and lives to respond to what you have to say tonight, I pray that, God, you would somehow speak through my faltering words, and may you be honored, may you be glorified, and may we be different, because we have met with you, the King of the universe, because you promised where two or three are gathered, you are here in our midst, and we welcome you, and we thank you, we worship you, and Lord, we're ready to hear from you. Thank you, Christ, in your name we pray, amen. All right, grab your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses Three through five, we're going to be there in just a minute. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 10. Also wrote some verses out here that we're going to be referencing uh, tonight uh, on my incredible PowerPoint uh, board presentation. So uh, you can check that out. All right. So we're in a series called Truth Matters. <clears throat> Excuse me. Truth Matters. And uh, our theme verse is Jude 3, where we are told as believers to contend for the faith. That word contend is an aggressive word. It is a word that is focused energy where God says, listen, I want you to step up and contend to take a stand for the faith, for that which has been delivered to you as believers, not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but all that God says, this is real, this is right, this is true. So believe this, live for this, align your life with this, and take a stand for that. 
That's what God wants us to do. That is why truth matters. And why do we have to contend? Why do we have to step up and give energy to this? Because as we have found in this uh, series, that we have an enemy, a supernatural enemy that is completely opposed to the truth, Satan, because he hates God, who is the source of truth. And Jesus tells us in John 8, 44, that he is a liar and the father of lies and a murderer. And so his goal is to get us to believe lies, because if we believe a lie, we'll live a lie. And so the answer to that, as we have seen, is to look at God's truth, believe God's truth, apply it to our lives, and live it out. Now, we are going to look at moving forward in this series, the next couple of weeks, at some cultural issues that every single one of us uh, have to deal with in our world today. There are issues that are made up of uh, ideas and thought systems and belief systems that Satan is using to get us to be duped into buying into a lie. Now, there are some uh, churches and leaders that um, shy away from this. They just try to ignore it. Here's the thing. Ignorance is never a plan of action that God gives in his word when it comes to standing up for truth and things that are true. It's just not a plan of action. We are called to something different. And that difference is laid out for us in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 3 through 5. You have it in front of you, hopefully. So let me read, read it for us, and we'll walk through this very quickly. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. These, these verses tell us some powerful things. First, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We are in a war. We are in a battle. So why do we not wage war as the world does? Because we understand what the real battle is. Ephesians 6, Paul tells us that our battle, our struggle, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, right? But against the dark powers of this world, the spiritual wickedness. So we understand that there is a war. It's just not the world uh, war that the, that the world wants us to think. We have a different war. We understand it. It's a supernatural battle. And that's why verse 4 says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. We need different weapons. On the contrary, here's what they are. One, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They have divine power. The weapons that God has given us are from him. They have divine power, not just human power, divine power, God-fueled power. That is what we have here. They have divine power to demolish, to tear down strongholds. Those are fortresses. And we demolish arguments, and here's what they are. Here's what those fortresses are made of. Argument. That word is a general word that has to do with any human thought or demonic thoughts of opinions and ideas and belief systems that are opposed to the truth. That's a general word for that, okay? So we demolish those arguments and every pretension. Pretension means a lofty thing. That means that which sets itself up as truth. And that's a lot of what we're gonna be looking at tonight, that these things set themselves up as truth, even though they're not. And that's why we demolish these things. We tear them down, man. We get aggressive about that. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God because that's what's happening. If it's not of the truth, it's setting itself up against and opposing God. And we take captive. That's a decision and a choice we make. We take captive what? Every thought. That tells us where the battle is right here. The battle is in, in our understanding, in our belief systems because what we think about, we'll care about, 
We'll believe and we'll live out of that. We'll choose, we'll chase, right? So we take uh, captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That means we take it and we line it up with what God has said in his word. Jesus, who said, I am the truth, John 14, 6. And when he said in John 17, 17, Jesus said to the Father, thy word is truth. So we take these things that we hear that come at us in our culture through all kinds of different ways, and we line them up. We take them captive. If they're in our thoughts, we take them captive, and we line them up to truth, and we make them obedient. Say, no, this is the wrong path. I'm going to choose this path. This is the right path. This is God's path. And so we take them captive, every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. That is what God wants us to do. That is the plan. So we're going to start tonight, and this is kind of a two-part series. We'll start tonight. We'll finish it uh, next week, next two weeks. Uh, But we're going to look at a word that has inundated our culture and carries with it an entire belief system, okay? It's called wokeism, okay? How many of you heard the word woke, wokeism? You guys familiar with it? Yes, you can't hardly get anywhere without hearing about it. What the heck does it really mean? Well, wokeism means, okay, it means that you are awake or woke, as it is, to the real nature, okay, the real nature of the world to which most people are asleep. That's what that means. And what is it that you're awake to? What is it that you're woke to? You are awake to the total inequity. This is what it teaches. The total inequity of the social order. In other words, racism. And racism is and woke thought promoted by white people. Now, the way you get woke is you, one of the ways is, is you embrace what is known as critical race theory, CRT, okay? How many of you heard of that? You know, stick with me tonight, because I know I'm like, wow, what is going on? Hang with me, it'll be worth the ride, I promise you. CRT, critical race theory, this teaches, in a nutshell, this is what it teaches. This is why when you hear it, you know, it's, it's hey, they're teaching in schools or whatever, you need to know, this is what it teaches, critical race theory, Uh, through teaches that societal life, the life in which we live in society, is structured against uh, along racial power dynamic lines. Okay, our society is structured along racial power dynamic and that white people, okay, they promote that. They promote this racism because they are the ones who benefit from it and they bring it into America and America is shot through with racism. That's what CRT believes. And furthermore, it says that racist America creates the condition so that more racism on all levels can occur, and it is being promoted mostly by white people and their white privilege because they benefit from this social structure, okay? Now, there's a lot more I could say about this, but this is the thing you need to understand. If you're white, you are seen as the enemy because you were a racist. Whether you realize it or not, maybe you didn't wake up this morning and go, hey, I wonder if I'm a racist. Well, according to CRT, you are. If you're white, you're a racist. That's how that, that's how that works. In fact, let me give you a quote from a, a professor from Boston University. Okay, he's a leading woke theorist, okay? And he's much applauded, I mean, much affirmed. They love this guy. Uh, Kendi is his last name, K-E-N-D-I, and he says this. He says that such people, mostly white, constitute, ready, the most threatening racist movement. That's you. That is what this movement teaches. So one of the main tenets, okay, of wokeism is that it is promoted and promulgated by white people in their white privilege, and it's grounded in white supremacy. Now, here's what they have done. 
When you start to redefine language, you can make it say anything you want. That's why when you hear the, the phrase, love is love, right? We've heard that. Love is love. Well, they redefine love so that it can basically justify any kind of sexual activity and perversion you want because they redefine that. We'll talk more about that next week. So what has happened is that uh, these woke warriors, also known as social justice warriors, SJW, they have redefined the word justice and the word white, and they've thrown in to the word white, white supremacy. Now, white supremacy is that which is believed and lived out by the Ku Klux Klan. It's truly awful, okay? It's wrong. But what our culture has done, and these woke theorists have done, is that they have combined in that, when you say the word white, okay, you are meaning white supremacy. They have attached that, they've smuggled that meaning into it. So now anytime you hear the word white, that's what they're looking at. That is why, for example, about a month ago, when Candace Owen and uh, Kanye West wore the t-shirts, White Lives Matter, the internet blew up. They lost their mind. These woke people lost their mind. They went absolutely crazy condemning them, how horrible. Adidas cut their uh, ties and contracts with Kanye. I mean, it cost them a lot of money. All because they wore this, the shirt, White Lives Matter. They said this awful, you're racist, all these things against that. You know, they could have worn a shirt, Black Lives Matter, or Asian Life Matter, or Mexican Lives Matter, or even Alien Lives Matter, and it wouldn't have affected then and stirred up that kind of response. But because the world and our culture has attached white supremacy to the word white, and anytime you say anything like that, that is what is being promoted, and they're saying you're the problem. You white people are the problem. And so, what they do, these social justice warriors, what they do is now they are, because they redefine justice as well, they say now this is how we fix this thing. This is how we fix this. We have to level the playing field. So we have to redistribute wealth to everybody. There is no private ownership. That is Marxist ideology. If you really want to be scared, go read up on Marxist ideology and socialism. It is frightening. But this is where they're going because they redefine these words and so they're able to push this radical agenda. And what has happened is that some churches and church leaders under the banner of social justice, they have become woke. They have adopted this and this is what they do. They use biblical terms in unbiblical ways. Let me give you an example. You've probably heard this before. As a Christian, this is what you were told, as a Christian, you need to personally and historically repent of the sin of racism for your family in the past, for your generation in the past, because if you don't, then you're gonna be guilty of passing the sin of racism onto the next generation if you don't repent of the historical racism in your past. Now, if you'll notice with that, two very biblical words, repentance and sin, but they use it in a completely unbiblical way, and this is how you know it. You match it up against the truth, because this communicates, follow me here, this communicates, that idea communicates an understanding of generational sin that is found nowhere in the New Testament. Nowhere. Jesus, never, the apostles, never, they never instructed someone to repent of a sin for a family member. Never didn't, didn't do it, okay? Because we are, are responsible for our own actions, for our own sin. When I stand before the Lord, I'm not gonna be held accountable for your sin. 
I'm not going to be held, I'm going to be held accountable for my life. All right. So now we can grieve the sins of the past, absolutely, and of our family, absolutely. But we cannot repent of those. Right? Jesus never instructed us to do this. The New Testament never instructs us to do this. Social justice and biblical justice are two very different things. Social justice, biblical justice, very different things. God is the one who defines what is truly just and unjust because he is a just God. He is a source of justice. He tells us this is just, this is unjust, this is righteous, this is wicked, this is true, this is false. God is the one who does that. So all true injustice as defined by God in his word, all right, that should make us sad and should make us mad. Why? Because it's sin. And that should be our attitude towards all sin. Towards all sin. That should be our attitude in our lives and the lives of others should make us sad, should make us mad. But here's the thing. Until you look at something and look at a statement and look at a situation and look at an idea and an ideology, and until you assess it and diagnose it biblically, according to what the Bible says, you will never be able to tackle it rightly, all right? So God wants us to use his word as the anchor, as the lens through which we look and evaluate the statements and the ideas and the belief systems that are thrown at us through a woke, wokeism agenda. So how do we do that? Let me give you one. We'll give you one tonight. We'll give you two, two next week. This is how we take woke ideology and woke theology, believe it or not, there's such a thing, and we, we hold it up against God's word. We pull it out into the light of truth. We hold it up against God's word. We see how it fares, and then we see what God wants us to do with it. So here's, here's the example. Here's the statement. Wokeism believes that there are many different races, there are many different races, and those races are divided up into the oppressors, the white people, and the oppressed, everybody else. Okay? Wokeism believes and teaches okay, that there are many different races, and it's divided up into the, the oppressors, which is the white, and the oppressed. And so if you believe that, then you start to live out of that, then you see how the whole social justice thing gets rolling and why white people are bad and they, you know, they profit from this horrible system and we have to you know, get this system out. That's, I mean, that's where they go with all of that. So let's go back to that statement. So let's match it up against what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there's only one race, the human race. There's only one race, okay? And we are divided in two groups. The entire human race divided up into two groups, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ, those who are saved and born again and those who are not, those who are lost. The ultimate issue is not the color of my skin. It's the condition of my heart. That is what the Bible teaches. And let me tell you how we're unified. We're unified several different ways. One of these ways is right here, Genesis 1:27. It's a foundational truth of unity of the human race. It tells us that God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Every single human being is united under the truth that they are created in the image of God. They have stamped on them, on every single person here, you have stamped on you the image of God, the imago Dei. That is a foundational Truth. That is what. Now, there are different tribes and different tongues and different ethnicities, but there's only one human race unified under the banner of God saying, 
You're in my image. That is what gives you worth and value and dignity. And even though sin has come in and marred that and cursed it, it did not remove that foundational truth. And so when we read scriptures like we find in Psalm 139, that is still for us. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 15 says this, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, creative works, are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Fearfully and wonderfully made by Creator God. That is true of every single human being outside the womb and every single human being inside the womb. And that is one of the reasons uh, why abortion is so wrong and so awful because you are slaughtering the life of a human being made in the image of God. That is what the Bible tells us. And even though, like I said, there are many tribes and many tongues, many different ethnicities, right? there's one human race. Not a bunch of different races. That's a man-made division, by the way. It's a man-made division. There's not a bunch of different races. There's one race, the human race, under uh, the unifying factor that God created every single one of us and marked on us His image. When you become a believer, that unity uh, goes even deeper. You see that in Galatians 3.28 says this, There is in Christ neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, female, for you are all one in Jesus. When you become a believer, you become a member of the family of God, and you are unified under Christ. Distinct as individuals, but unified under Christ. Paul talks about it in Romans 12, where he uses the body image. He says there are different members, just like in your own body. You know, not everybody's a hand, not everybody's a feet, not everybody's an eye and ear, right? There are different members, but there's one body united under the head, which is Jesus Christ. Wonderfully distinct, wonderfully individually equipped, but united under Christ as a believer. See, Christianity, we do not hold up human diversity. We hold up human oneness and God-given diversity. It's a very different thing. It's a very different thing. And let me tell you where this whole thing is going. God's redemption plan, we understand what that is, but it's list for us recorded one of the places in Revelations 5, verses 9 through 10. Let me read them for you. 5, 9 through 10 says this, And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. That is God's redemption plan. That is where all this is moving. Distinct, wonderfully distinct individuals, but united under Christ. That which I just read to you, if you're a believer, you're going to see this. This is our future. This is God's redemption plan for us. He wants everyone to know him. So what do we do? So we live our lives. Well, first, we, we stand up for what is right. We speak against woke ideology, and we stand up for the truth. Four things in regards to what we talked about tonight. Four truths. Here they are. One, there is one single human race that is unified under the truth that every human being is marked with the image of God. 
one human race, every individual marked the image of God. Two, we are also unified in that we are all sinners. Our biggest issue is not the color of our skin, it's the condition of our heart. Three, every single one of us needs a Savior. And four, every single one of us has been offered the gift of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He offers himself as anyone can come. He will turn no one away, but he doesn't keep you from turning yourself away. That's, That's the deal with free choice. And so that is the truth. And so what do we do with this? Well, personally, first off, we always ask ourselves. We always look in the mirror first, say, God, is there something in my life that I'm not believing right about? Is there something in my life that I need to take captive, some thought I need to take captive and match it up against your truth and make it obedient to Christ? You know what? It might not be anything I even talked about tonight. It might be something else that the Holy Spirit is going, hey, you need to take that thought captive because that's wrong. You need to grab that thing and bring it over into the light and match it up and get it going with Christ. You know, dump the stuff that's wrong and line up with Christ and take that path. You know, we always look at ourselves first. Say, God, is there something in my life that I've been duped about? by the enemy, something I'm thinking wrong about. And man, I match it up against your truth, God, I'm gonna believe what you have to say. I'm gonna live that out. And then secondly, we share God's heart. We speak truth and love and we share God's heart. We tell people the truth because God wants us to know the truth so that we can live the truth. You know, uh, William Wilberforce said, let it not be said that I was I was quiet when they needed me. He was a guy who, uh, who was responsible, really, for spearheading the whole effort to abolish uh, slavery in England. And he said that. He said, let it not be said that I was silent when they needed me. And so that has to be our heart. And the good news is that's God's heart. He wants us to speak truth. He wants us to tell the truth. And he wants us to live that out. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if any of this stuff has resonated with you, um, but uh, we always start with ourselves. Say, God, is there something I'm believing that is not right? Please reveal it to me because I want to live the truth because you have an enemy that hates you and he wants you to live what is false. God wants us to live the truth. May we choose to do that. Let's pray together. Their heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. What did God talk to you about? I know we, we covered a lot, of, a lot of territory pretty quick, and we just hit some highlights on, on some of these cultural issues. But it's important when we say truth matters, it's important to speak the truth about these things so that we can be equipped when we have conversations with people. So take a moment and just silently in your heart, just respond to what, the God who loves you might be speaking to you about. If there's a thought that needs to be recalibrated, take a moment and respond to him. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, but if you are here and you've never invited Christ into your life, you've never given your life to Jesus, this is an all-in commitment. This isn't just, hey, I'm gonna pray a little prayer and then live my life however I want. No, this is realizing that you are lost, you're a sinner, you're dead in your trespasses and sin, but God has offered you salvation through his son, Jesus, and you want that.
You want to know you're going to heaven. You want your sins forgiven. You want to have a relationship with God. Man, if that is you, then just tell him. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer. Not aloud in your heart. Just mean the words as your own. It's not magic. But just say something like this. Just say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm lost. I know I need a Savior. I believe you died for me to forgive me of my sins, to give me eternal life. I want that. I want you. And so I turn from my sin. I repent. I give my life to you, Jesus. Come in. Save me. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. I will follow you. Has Bob eyes closed, no one looking around. But if you just prayed that and you meant it, I just want to remember you in a, a closing prayer. So with no one looking around, I want you to raise your hand so I can see it because I want to remember you in a closing prayer. Say, Wes, I prayed it. I meant it. Pray for me. No. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the truth and that you guide us in ways and that when the, the culture around us wants us to be duped or wants us to be quiet or wants us to be unsure. But Lord, you tell us the truth and we don't have to be afraid. And that you've given us powerful weapons, or powerful, divine, powerful weapons that we can take a stand in our own lives first, God, against the sin, the temptation, and the wrong thoughts, and that we can follow you. Jesus, thank you for your love. And I pray for my brothers and sisters as I pray for myself. But Lord, we would stand for your truth that we would not be silent when we need to stand up and that we would speak your truth in love and tell people while we have a breath that you love them and they can know you. Thank you, Christ. In your name we pray.